life is like a wave. It's not all consistent. It's ups and downs in life. And now for The Pastor Struggles. I'm sitting down today. Now, it's not because I'm tired or... Yeah, I am tired. But it's not because of... (laughs) It's not because I can't stand up. It actually is a different purpose. Today is a different kind of message. It stems from... I was traveling on a train recently. We take the company every year on a trip, and this year we went to Washington, D.C. But we didn't just go to Washington, D.C. We actually took Amtrak, so we had overnight sleeping cabins. And it was in the middle of the night, and I woke up, and I was sitting by the window, looking out the window at the scenery go by in the middle of the night on a train. It wasn't a midnight train to Georgia. It was a midnight train to Washington. And while I was there, I began to hear God speak, and I, I wrote down a lot of stuff. But one of the things he said, he says, you're in the middle of the series I have commanded you to speak, dealing with spiritual exercise. He said, once you complete the fifth part of that series, I want you to just talk to the people from the subject of the pastor's struggles. Most of the time, pastors, they don't tell you about their struggles, but I can guarantee you that all of them have them. And it is a general principle that if you're a leader of anything, you never let them see you sweat. The leader cannot show weakness or indecisiveness, and heaven knows the leader cannot show fear. But I can tell you sometimes leaders get scared, and there is a weight of leadership that is sometimes even elevated above just regular life, but then you got just your regular stuff too. So God says, I want you to just talk to the people about the pastor's struggles. Now, one of the things also today, and today may be our day of the month that we run a little over time. This is the second message of the new year. We just celebrated the biblical new year, not man's new year of January 1st, but the Rosh Hashanah new year. So we're sort of moving into a new year, and often what I have done in the past is I'll answer questions that the congregation has, not particularly theological questions, but just questions you got about this church or the ministry or, or things of operation or whatever. So if you have a question, just email it to answers at airjesus.com. That's answers with an S at airjesus.com and they'll come in and James will read them out and I'll do my best if we have appropriate time to answer them today and if not today I will answer them in the future but today I just want to talk about the pastor's struggle now the book of Job the first verse of the 14th chapter a verse that we're all so familiar with man born of woman and as of Today, there's no other way for man to be born. Even Jesus had to be born of a woman. Now, this actually may not apply in the future because science is really advancing. So we may, a hundred years from now, have an artificial womb and artificial insemination, and you may be able to just produce a child artificially. But right now, the only way you can get here is to be born of a woman. Man born of woman is of few days and full of trouble. 
And as I thought about it, even when we do get to the point where we can artificially produce humans, they still going to have trouble. So I don't care how you're born, you're about going to have trouble. And the days are few. Now, actually, we're living longer than we've ever lived in modern history. In the old days when Methuselah, you know, he lived 969 years, and he lived a long, long time. They lived a very long time back in ancient biblical days. But in modern times, we're actually living longer than we've ever lived before. At the turn of the 1900s, the average lifespan was about 45 to 50 years old. Now the average lifespan is getting close to 80. There has been a slight reversal of that in the last two to three years, but that's primarily been due to stuff other than folk just dying naturally. It's been due to suicide and the opioid crisis. So those things have slightly lowered, but those are choices that you make. You know, when you kill yourself, you just made a choice. I'm going to cut my life short. That ain't got nothing to do with lifespan. You just made a choice to cut your life short. When you begin to take certain drugs, you made a choice. But nevertheless, we're living longer than we've ever lived in modern history, and still that short. I am 63 years old, and it looked like it was just yesterday I was getting out of college. Time flies so fast. And I've been out of college now for 42 years, and it looks like I could just remember yesterday college graduation and now all of this seeming time has passed that stuff is a mist in the wind and another 20 years will go by before you know it so indeed the days are fleeting and man born of woman is of few days now the full of trouble job may have been exaggerating with that i personally don't believe life is full of trouble but it's got enough trouble Because there are moments that are definitely not trouble. Most of my world is definitely not trouble. But life has enough trouble of its own, and it's got enough trouble every single day. Psalms 90.10 says, Seventy years are given to us. Some even live to eighty. But even the best years are filled with pain and trouble. Soon they disappear, and we fly away. Now, this is Job and David. Job was the richest man in the land at the time. He, of course, as you know, went through his ups and downs. David was the king. So both of these were leaders. Job would be equivalent to the modern-day Bill Gates. David would be equivalent to the modern-day president. And both of these men said life is short and it's just full of trouble. And here David says even the best years, not your worst years, David says, even your best years are filled with pain and trouble. Now, all of us have struggles from the very young to the very old. And there are basically four major areas of life of struggle. Spirit, which basically includes depression, fear, worry, anxiety, the things that do with your mind and spirit. Then you have money. You have relationships and you have health. In truth, I've got struggles in every one of those four areas. I've got a fantastic life. I don't apologize or I've got a fantastic life. There's no one I would trade places with. But even with a fantastic life, I have struggles in all of those areas. And usually when people ask me, how you doing? I always answer with one word, which is excellent. 
And that's absolutely true. I am doing excellent, but that's not the whole story. I'm doing excellent, but I'm still struggling. Many of you are doing excellent, but you're still struggling. How many of you are still struggling? I'm still struggling. I'm doing really good, but I'm still struggling. And I think God wants me to just talk to you today just about the past of struggle because most or all of you are struggling even now. And we go through periods of life where it doesn't appear there's a struggle. Life is like a wave. It's not all consistent. It's ups and downs in life. It's just ups and downs with your spirit, with your relationships, with your money, with your health. It goes through ups and downs. Recently, we just attended the Brothers of the Word and several people here from the Ark. We attended my brother Bishop Dale's capacity conference, and he had some awesome speakers over three days that just came and inspired and taught us. But the one that impacted me most was a gentleman called Kerry Newhoff. It's spelled N-I-E-U-W-H-O-F. I thought Bronner was rough until I saw his name. Sometimes you think your situation's rough till you see somebody else's situation. I said, good grief, I can't even spell this man's name looking at it. But his name is Kerry Newhoff, and he's a pastor of a church. And he came and he just talked about the seven personal barriers and struggles that pastors go through. And every one of those seven I could relate to. So I kind of want to use his seven as a beginning framework for this. And even though it applies to pastors, it applies to so many of us in just our regular everyday lives. And he talked about these are the things that he went through and the things that he still struggles with and had to overcome. And the first one was cynicism. Cynicism is basically when you have this view that things just not going to turn out right. And often you say, Pastor, you suffered with cynicism? Sure do. Have you ever helped somebody and you gave them all you had and they still didn't appreciate you worth a hoop? Still did you wrong? Still didn't treat you right? Have you ever done that? Have you ever done that more than once? several times, multiple times, you know, in the pastoral world. And to be honest about it, I actually help more people outside of the church than I do in the church. So most of this really comes from outside of the church, but it happens even in the church. When you give folk everything you got for years and still, they don't appreciate it worth a hoot. And you do one thing they don't agree with, and all of a sudden you're the walking devil. Have you ever, ever had that kind of situation? And Newhoff, he gave examples of when he had put everything he had into parishioners. And he said one situation, the man, he left the party, he just stood up and said, I'm leaving this church. And he said, why? He said, I don't spend so much time with you and your, why are you leaving? He said, I didn't leave it. And he went through situation after situation after situation. And it finally just made him cynical. He said, no matter what I do for folk, this just ain't going to turn out good. And I understood that. Because too often I had helped people for years and years. And when it became time to say, now you've got to stand on your own. I will not help you anymore. This is over as far as me giving you and helping you. I've got to move on to other folk. And they just get mad as they can be and say, you low down, dirty dog. It happens. It happens to anyone in leadership, anyone who has an open heart. And that's why so many people in church become wounded. 
because they give all they have and people still spit on. And it creates cynicism. So I have learned that you just have to do what God tells you to do. And if folk don't appreciate it, that's on them. And when you learn how to do that, it helps. Jesus told the disciples, this, you listen, when you go into a city and if they don't receive what you say, he said, brush the dust off your clothes and you keep it going. That's what you have to learn to do. Now, everybody does not do that. Everybody does not do wrong. If you help them, some people are super appreciative. But the thing about life is this. The wounds and the stabs in the back hurt worse and last much longer than the pats on the back. You can have a hundred folk pat you on the back. It's not as impacting as one person who stabs you in the back. And this is true with all of the stuff. So often the pain or the disappointments or the negative magnifies much more than the positive. It's the way human nature works. You remember a criticism much more generally than you will remember a compliment. So human nature is more sensitive to the negative than the positive. Carrie Newhart, he gave an example. He was working as a legal assistant in a law firm. And one day, one of the lawyers came in and he had a lottery ticket in his hand. He said, if I win this lottery, you all are never going to see me again in this office. And Carrie said, the problem was the lawyer was the owner of the firm. And he was cynical even about his own company, that if he had enough money, he would never show up there again. Do you know if you're leading something, in particular in ministerial positions, I at least can comfortably say, if I won a lottery for half a billion dollars, I would still be in church the next Sunday. I would still be here preaching, and I would still be doing what God told me to do. So even though ministry has some wounds, when you know it is what God has ordained you to do, do you know Jesus said those who follow him going to follow him with persecutions? You don't need to even step into ministry. You don't need to step into helping people if you're not prepared to take some wounds. It's just as simple as that. It goes with the territory. And my job is just to do what God has told me to do. And that's one of those big struggles of doing what God has told you to do. The second area of the seven that Newhart said was this. It's moral compromise. You just struggle with doing the right thing. And moral compromise goes everything from the big stuff of, you know, having affairs to stealing money. Those are the big things. But most of the time, most of us, we're not really messed up by the big things of moral compromise. We're messed up by the small things. We're messed up by jealousy. We're messed up by criticism. We're messed up by small, what I would call, errors of character and judgment that we don't correct. Not the big stuff. Now, the big stuff mess up folk. But normally, the public never sees the small stuff. They only see the big stuff. But it is the small stuff that usually takes us down with God and with our own spirit. So I struggle a lot of times with just some basic stuff. And sometimes I struggle with avoiding some of that big stuff because the big stuff ain't easy to avoid these days. With a pastor, do you know it's hard to just stay faithful to your wife? That ain't easy. And some people may think, you know, when you see pastors fall, to be honest about it, when I hear a pastor now who has been caught in infidelity, 
the first question in my mind I want to know is, was it a man or a woman? I hate to say it, but that's the first. And then when I hear it's a woman, I say, Phew. <laughs> I say, I'm telling you, that's real bad to say. Sometimes I'm just relieved to hear the pastor was caught with a woman. So I understand. And, you know, I used to just look down. I understand how men and women can get weak and they fall in situations because stuff just happens. And usually when men and women fall, it's not something that happens overnight. This is not something that just happened last week. They just thought about where the week before last, everything was perfect and they fell in it. No, that thing builds over years, over years, over years. This erodes, that erodes, this gets weaker, stuff gets colder. And all of a sudden you slipped into something that you never would have done five years ago. So this happens to pastors, and oftentimes what you will see, you'll see some big well-known men. Y'all have not heard of a single woman who's been in the news, a single married woman, and she's been caught with another man. You can't name me not one, not one I can think of. It's not one that's been in the news, but it's been plenty of men. But the stats say that women are cheating just as much as men. How come ain't no women in the news? You know why there are no women in the news? Because if a married woman is with somebody, the man not going to come out and say he's been with a married woman. That's why. But a single woman will come out and you won't hear other married women coming out about they've been with the man, but you hear plenty of women. Single women. So both men and women are just as guilty of it. You just don't hear about the women because the man not going to tell on a married woman. That's why. But one thing you will notice about usually when the big men have a situation. Y'all ain't going to sleep now. Whoo! <laughs> I'm not standing up, but you're sure not going to sleep. What you will often find is when the woman appears, a lot of times she's just not that pretty. And it'd be big, powerful men. And you say to yourself, why? Yeah, y'all, yeah, see, y'all have said it. You said, why this man fooling with this woman? And, you know, I expect her to be a movie star. Why the woman just not that pretty? You're still laughing because it's true. And you all have said it and you've asked yourself this question. Why is this big, powerful man got all this money, all this power, and he's fooling with this woman who's not even that pretty? What's wrong with that? Because it's not about the beauty. Usually the man is going with the woman to fill a void that's in his life. So it's somebody who's around him, somebody who done paid attention to him, somebody done boosted his ego, stroked his back, patted him on the back, someone who has been warm and kind to him, and over time the thing grows. And it has nothing to do with beauty. It has something to do with filling a void. So all people in power, and whether you're in power or not, whether you are a leader or not, when there is a void in your world, nature abhors a vacuum, and there will be something that will try to fill that void. And pastors often have voids. We go through the same ups and downs in relationships as everybody else. T.D. Jakes spoke on Thursday night. And T.D. Jakes said, anybody who said they done had 50 years of just a happy married line, because it don't happen. And I mean, I believe there are cases where that does happen, but it's really, really rare. And most people don't know anybody in that situation, any pastors or anybody else. You go through ups and downs. And you go through ups and downs of where stuff is just beautiful. And then you go through ups and downs of why in the world I married this person in the first place. So you go through ups and downs. It happens with relationships. So moral compromise is a challenge that all leaders go through. And I can honestly say that 
I've held up extremely well dealing with moral compromise, but I've held up well with that only because I have been shored up by God. There's been some situations if God hadn't stepped in, I wouldn't have made it. And I know some of you are wondering, what pastor talking about with that? What is pastor talking about with that? It's like when Paul says, the things that I should do, that I don't do, and the stuff I shouldn't do. And everybody went, what was Paul doing? See, everybody, y'all wondering, what pastor talking about that he wouldn't have made it if God hadn't stepped in and showed him up? It just seems like, I'm just being honest, I wouldn't have made it. With just pastor with his own strength, there's been some temptations I have dealt with. If God had not stepped in, pastor wouldn't have made it. And that's the reality of it. So I've had some struggles But thank goodness God has had my back because I would have made it. And the third thing that he talked about was disconnection. And he talked about with disconnection, sometimes, especially if you're real busy with stuff, you have to slow down and connect with those who you are supposed to connect with. He made this statement. He says, love has a speed and it's slower than you are. You have to give some stuff some time, some relationships, some people that you're close to. In our current world, we have sped up so much. It used to be that if you wanted to find out how to get somewhere, you had to go get you a map, unfold a map, Find out where the place you're going is on the map. Find out where you are and then go through all this stuff of finding out how to get from point A. Now you just turn on your phone. You don't even have to type. You just hit the microphone button and speak or say Bixby or Siri, tell me how to get to such and such. And it pops up. We're moving now at a pace that is so fast, it's too fast for most relationships. That's why when you go out to a restaurant now and you look at couples who are sitting there eating, you'll find that six out of ten of the couples, both of them are on their phones. And they are on a date. You know, in the old days, if you took a woman out, you just looked in her eyes. (laughs) You did. You just sat there and you just, now you're looking at a screen. And even before folk get married, they still looking at the screen. Just go to the restaurant and look around and you'll see six out of ten of the couples are on their phone because we don't slow up to connect. It's still no different. So our disconnection now is higher than it's ever been. Pastors of the old days were far more connected to people than we are now. That's just no question about it. You know, in the old days... The pastor never went to dinner except if it was to a congregation member's house on Sunday. My grandmother used to tell me they would have a pastor over and the pastor's favorite food was possum. That has changed. No longer is the pastor, does the pastor go to dinner at the congregation's house and no longer is the pastor's favorite food possum. Both of those have changed. So we've disconnected. I don't even know what possum tastes like. And to be honest, I'm not in a hurry to find out. (laughs) So we're disconnected now. Parents are disconnected from children. Even teenagers are no longer connected. They don't talk on the phone. They don't associate. They're online. We're disconnected. So the disconnection has created an issue within our world. The fourth thing that Carrie said was irrelevance. 
Now, he said he defined irrelevance as the gap between how quickly things change and how quickly you change. I am 63 years old right now, and there are some things that I have, you become irrelevant when you're at a level that's way different than the level where everybody else is at, particularly young people. And often we don't even understand what they're even talking about. They're no longer on Facebook. They're on Snapchat. There's a new one, TikTok. It's changing so fast I can't even keep up with it. But what you can't keep up with, you become irrelevant towards. And I have even begun a recent change within church direction of where I said I want to revamp our web presence because our main sermon website, the online word, has not been changed in 20 years. It's still the best sermon site out there, but it's old and it's antiquated, and, and we just haven't focused on that. And there's a huge focus and push towards getting young people in the church. A lot of the speakers, even at the conference, were talking about how do you get the millennials and Generation Z in church. They ain't coming to church. That's just the bottom line. You can't get them, and you can get a few. But you're only going to get 10% at the best. They're not coming. They don't want to be in an environment that is traditional church. And if they do come, they're not coming to traditional church. They're not coming to a place that even look like a church. They want to come to a place that look like a warehouse. They like this service now. They don't like bright lights. They like it like a concert where the lights are just on the stage and it's dark in the congregation. That's what the young people want. They don't. They're not coming. And the, the speaker was talking about how young people now, the time that they spend on screens. So I said to myself, if they're not coming to church, they're on the screens, we got to go to the screen. If they're not coming where we are, we got to go to where they are. So I have to have a different mode of thinking. And then we've got to think, how do we get them? Even if we get on the screen, you still got to get their attention. And it's not easy, but we're working on that. But one thing about it, you will never get what you're not focused on even trying to do. So we have to make a turn. And that'll be a part of what I want to explain about even the vision of the church and where we're headed. But we've got to move away from being irrelevant to young people. And young people now, all the stats are showing it right and left. Church is becoming more and more irrelevant to young people. They don't see it as necessary. They don't want to come and they don't want anything to do with organized religion. So how do you change that? First of all, you've got to get their ear in their eye. You've got to go where they are. So if they're on the screen, we have to go to the screen. And I had told the leadership in the church, and instead of us putting a whole lot of money into fixing up this physical building, I said, if we do that, we may affect a few hundred people. But if we take that same resource and attention and put it into reaching out online, instead of 100, we can affect 100,000. And then they told me, they said, Pastor, we do need some things fixed up in the church. I said, what? We got the prettiest sanctuary I've seen in ages. He said, well, the women's bathroom is terrible. I said, what do you mean it's terrible? We had the bathroom. There's no vent in the bathroom. And all of the women who were present, amen that. The men knew nothing about it because the men's bathroom was fine. But they said the women's bathroom, Pastor, we got to rush out of there if we go in there because there's no vent in there. There was a vent because we put a vent in years ago, but the vent doesn't go anywhere. It just goes up in the ceiling. And you know, sometimes all you're doing is blowing smoke around. It doesn't help you at all. You got to get that stuff out of there. So I said, we got to just knock a hole in the wall. And see, the thing about it, none of the men knew anything about it because we were disconnected. And we didn't know. 
So that's why you have to have your finger on the pulse beat of what's going on, even within your own church. And that's why I want to open up even the questions, answers at airjesus.com. Now, some things we may not be able to do anything about. Some things we can't change. So, ladies, I want to first of all apologize. The pastor didn't even know about that. We got real nice bathroom, but there's no vent in there. So very quickly, that's going to be fixed. So you'll be able to go into both bathrooms or all three bathrooms, and you won't have to worry about running out of there in a hurry. We will get that fixed. So the fifth thing that he talked about was pride. And this is the thing that God has told me after last service. Diana came up to me. She said, Pastor, I had a dream about you. And in the dream, you took your hand and you covered my hand. And it was the hand, for some of you all know, Diana had a major injury in one of her hands. And she said, you took your hand and you covered my hand, but your hand was covered with a blue mesh. Now, when Diana told me that, it had a very strong significance to me. Because of the one experience I've had that I absolutely, without question, knew was supernatural was the blue sign. Now, it's been many other things that I believe God has moved in so many areas of my life. I've had so many signs. But if somebody asked me as a scientist, what could you point to unequivocally where there is absolutely no other possible explanation? It was the sign of the blue light. I was sitting at my office one day, not the office that I'm in now, but my former office. I was probably about 34, 35 years old. I was sitting at my office and I noticed around my hand was a very intense, bright blue light. It was around my right hand and I held up my hand because being this science, what is that? So I held up my hand to see if it was around both hands, left hand, totally normal. So I do all this kind of moving to see was it light from somewhere? No, it was not. My hand was glowing. I couldn't explain it. I'm sitting there. I'm not dreaming. There's no vision. I'm sitting at my desk at work, wide awake in the middle of the day. The room just as bright as it can be. And my right hand has this bright blue light that's just glowing. And I'm saying, what in the world is this? And I'm doing all this kind of stuff trying to see, is there anything causing the light from external? And there was not. Nothing on the left hand. My right hand glowing bright blue. God has never explained that to me. But I knew within my spirit, I knew without question, if I could have touched anybody while my hand was glowing blue, it would have healed them. I just knew. God didn't boom it out to me, but I knew if I can touch anybody while this hand is glowing, it will heal them. I believe the glow is coming back, but it is not coming back until we are ready. This morning in my prayer, God spoke to me and he said, because I was asking, you know, one of the things about leadership and one of the struggles that you have is, you know, is a simple question of when. You know, when God has promised you a whole lot of stuff, you have this simple question, when? Am I the only one that's got that question? It's this simple question, when? Like you sent all these prophets, you promised all this stuff, when? So it reminds me of my wife and I. We used to watch a series called When Comes a Heart. One of the Hallmark. And it was a situation of where they had this movie actress. She was an actress. It was an old western town set way back in. But she liked this fella who was a businessman, but she was playing hard to get. So another lady, they devised a scheme that the other lady would show great interest in the man, which she did. And they start going out, which made the other woman jealous. And she finally just confronted the businessman. She said, look, 
I see you with this other woman. I don't like it. I think we ought to be together. So the man just smiled because that was their plot all along. And he said, well, since you feel that way, and I do feel that we do have some things in common and we may have some great benefit of spending some time together. He said, I'm going to break it off with the other young lady. And she just she said, when? So, you know, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes this is the question that we have of God. The things that have been promised. It looks like it is taking so long because when God speaks it, you know, like it's just right around the corner. It looks like it's just tomorrow. And here it is 10 years later or 15 years later or 20 years later. And still this thing has not manifested. See, I saw that blue light. That has been almost 30 years ago. And it has not shown back up. And it's been 30 years ago. And I knew when I saw it. I knew it was God. I knew it was powerful. I knew if I could touch anybody with this glowing hand, it would heal them. But it hadn't shown up, and it's been over 30 years. So you ask yourself the question, when? And God spoke to me this morning as I was even just mulling over this and asking him, Lord, when is the power coming? You said about us building this 4,200-seat sanctuary, people overflowing, all this stuff. Lord, when is this stuff coming? And God spoke this. He said, You are not ready for the power. Your spirit cannot handle it now, nor can the structure around you support it. For those of you who are asking God when, can you handle it now? I mean, seriously. God just told me up front. See, most preachers are not going to tell you this. They ain't going to tell you when God said you ain't ready for it. You can't handle it. Your spirit can't handle it. I've had three prophets prophesy that I will have the ability to raise the dead. And God has told me that's true. He said, but that's not the issue. Raising the dead is my power. Your problem is the pride that goes along with it. And he said, right now, my spirit can't handle it. Now, the challenge with that is when your spirit cannot handle it, particularly due to pride. Because just even the ability, if you could just heal, just last week I talked about the plank and how it was good for back. If you could just heal back pain, you were just known as nothing but the back pain healing preacher. If you could just heal one thing, do you know you would be worldwide known and you would have a line to get to your church a mile long? If you could just heal one thing, just one thing, if you could just even heal stopped up sinuses, that's all. Just one thing. If you could just heal headaches, just one thing. If you could just even heal toe aches, not even big stuff, just one. And you could say, God has said, everybody who has a problem with their toes, if you shall come, and everybody, if they came and got their toes healed, you would have a lot of money. You could heal one thing. You would be worldwide famous. And you would have a line of people stretching to you. If you could just hear baldness. Woo! Goodness. If you could hear baldness. Woo! If you could anoint a head and hair start growing up. If you could just hear one thing. You would be world famous and have lines of people stretching around the building multiple times trying to get in to see if we could hear one thing. That's not even talking about the ability to raise the dead. So you would have to have your spirit strong enough where the pride of God's gift did not overwhelm you. And people, that's not easy. It's not easy because people will put you up on a pedestal. It's not as easy as it sounds. Well, Pastor, you ought to just be a dad. I ought not to blow you up. Yes, it will. 
It just does. And all of us are subject to that. It is a difficult thing to handle. The antidote to pride is humility. And often the medicine is humiliation. The antidote or the vaccine to pride is humility. But the medicine is humiliation. I spoke about that when I talked about my experience when I was speaking at Dick Gregory's funeral. But I felt so free after going through an experience of humiliation. And I understood how detrimental pride is. It blinds you. It messes up spirit. It does all this. But it's a part of human nature. And when anything is going successful, there is the creeping of pride. It's hard to handle. So I struggle with pride. You're not ready for the power. Your spirit can't handle it. And neither can the support system around you. I don't think we're ready as a congregation for a dead-raising preacher. Because that's going to change everything. It really, really is. So God has to prepare us. So often the answer of when is not when God is ready. It's when we are ready. The sixth thing that Carrie said was burnout. And the seventh is emptiness. And I'm going to just tie both of those kind of together because they kind of go together. A lot of pastors, they become burned out because of the excess load of congregational care. That's not my situation. You're one of the best congregations I think any pastor could ever have. I've had very, very, very little issues with the Ark of Salvation. Not a whole lot of people issues. Not a whole lot of the traditional mess that most churches have to go through. When I get around other pastors and I hear them talking about that congregation, I just feel like I'm just in a whole different world. So burnout for me is not coming from y'all. Turn to the person next and tell them, it ain't me. No, it's not coming from you all. But there comes a point when after you've done something for so long, there comes a point when you just want to rest. I remember before the 24-hour NBA, I was telling God, I'm just ready to slow down. He said, no, I'm not taking you to slowing down. I'm taking you to organization and business. You're not going to slow down. If anything, you're going to get busier. But the problem that goes with that, in particular as you get older, and sometimes it has nothing to do even with age, you just want to slow down. And one of the reasons is in terms of why. I knew that our websites were not fully up to par. They were not modern. They were not as effective as they could be. I just didn't have the energy to go in and revamp them. It's like what happened with mountain wings. And this even ties in with emptiness. Kerry gave an example of where he did a post. And in that post, a half a million people read it within 24 hours. It just went viral and it just took him to a whole different level. And he said after that, there was an emptiness because after that, it was just hard to top. And normally it would be only a few thousand, three to five thousand people who would read his post. So once he went to the point where he got one that went over a million, the little five thousand just felt empty. Mountain Wings at one point, to my knowledge, was the largest inspirational email on the face of the planet with over a million people getting it every single day. When I started it, I said if I could just get five thousand people to read this email every day, I could change lives in the space of a few years. It's hard to beat that. And there's a point that you feel like, been there, done that. So when I've done it and already had a following of over a million people, 
I'd been there, done that. And I knew what it took to do that the first time. I didn't feel like putting out the energy to do that the second time. So that's a part of what goes into burnout. And that's why a lot of times companies will not get older people to do stuff. You need a young blood who ain't done it to do it because they're full of energy, they're full of fire. And for the first time, they've got the type of drive to get something done that's almost impossible to do. So I've got to get myself re-geared and re-fired to say we're going to redo or even go beyond what was done with mountain wings to reach people and to bring them into the kingdom. But that ain't easy. And that's one of the struggles that I go through and that I deal with. So those are the seven. And even though he was relating them in particular to ministry, those same seven things. It's like ladies, it's like those of you who reared children. You got them grown. You don't want to do that all over again. I just sometimes related to something you can understand. Now, you're capable of doing it. You just don't want to do that all over again. So sometimes when you've done something, you just don't want to do that all over. But that's why you have to know destiny of what God wants you to do. And everything God is showing, our future is much greater. I can hear almost going to say, boy, if I told you you're going to live all this long time, why do you think I'm going to let you live all this long time? Just you lay back, kick your feet up, and just watch TV. What do you think I'm going to give you all this time for? I'm going to put you in the earth for purpose. And if you've got these years ahead of you, you need to do something powerful for me with those years. So for those of you, and you think that you have more years behind you than ahead of you, so what? Use the years that are ahead of you. Become refired. Don't be in burnout. Be burning. And there's a big difference in that. In those four areas... Spirit, money, relationships, and health. I got challenges in all four of those areas. It's hard to keep your spirit up all of the time. It's hard not to be envious. It's hard not to be competitive. It's hard to be generous. It's hard to put other people in the same level, in the same concern as yourself. These are spiritual issues that pastors have to deal with. It's hard sometimes to deal with those spiritual issues and in their relationships. I've been married for 25 years, just renewed our vows after 25 years. And marriage, I used to have a friend, and sometimes when they had a button that you pushed their button, they would have this statement, which was, don't even get me started. So sometimes even with some things, don't even get me started. You know, marriage, it's been the best thing for my spirit absolutely in the world. I wouldn't trade anything for it. But it's been one of my most difficult things. For some of you, it's been one of your most difficult things. Even the pastors who I know personally, most pastors who I know personally, they're not in their first marriage. They're not in their first marriage. Most pastors that I know personally, not in their first marriage. So pastors even have challenges with marriage because Adam had a challenge with it. He did. The first marriage had a challenge with it. It's not easy. It's a struggle, but it develops you better than anything else when you can hang in there and work through that thing and you can then see the benefit of it. And then there's money. I got money challenges. Folks say, well, Pastor, you run this big business, you got all this money. And folk always think that you have more money than you do. They all, especially if you got a big name, folk always think you have more money than you do. And you know, sometimes you have some of these stars and they end up dying and find that they didn't have any money and all that, but you think they just got all, I'm 50 cent. When he went on, you know, say, around his suit, I mean, he had to bring out his place. I ain't got all this money folks think I got. So a lot of times, 
I have two challenges with money. First of all, I am not the best money manager in the world. I'm really not. I've got some friends who are just awesome money managers. They really have built up a whole lot of money over the years. They're real tight with money. I'm almost the opposite with that. I had a situation recently with my son, and I was on the phone with him. I was leaving a meeting, and and one of my high school friends was standing there, and he was in his car, and he has this convertible Bentley. And I was just telling me how nice his car was. And he was telling me, yeah, man, it's twin turboed and convertible. Just a super nice Bentley. So my son on the other end was hearing that conversation. And he was saying, Daddy, that's a real, that's a real nice car. I said, son, it's an extremely nice car. There's no question about that. I said, but I can just about bet you that your daddy is happier in his Miata than that fella is in his Bentley. And I said, the second thing, I said, you know how much money I just put just in the educational fund for all the rest of the extended family? I said, if I took that money, I could buy any car in the world that I wanted. He said, you sure could. I give away more money than I spend on myself by a long shot. But that's not good earthly money management. It's excellent heavenly money management, but it's not good earthly money management. So oftentimes... I do have to be concerned. I'm not worried about it, but I do have to be concerned about money. I got all the money I need. I can buy anything in the world I want. Fortunately, I don't want anything. And so you can buy anything you want if you don't want anything. I got everything I really want. There's nothing I can think of that I want that money can buy that I don't have. But I do have challenges with building up money. And my mother used to often say, that every time she would save a certain amount of money, like something would come and just swoop it up. It was almost like God would not allow her to build up a certain amount of money. And sometimes even in my life, I've seen where God has kept money at a certain level because when money rises too high, we often don't depend on God. And if you got $100 million in the bank, you ain't depending on God from where your next meal or check coming from. You got $100 million in the bank. Trust me, it changes things. It changes even the way I feel when I have a whole lot of money in the bank. It just does. So sometimes God, by design, will keep your money at a certain level so that you remain dependent and recognizing him. And then there are health issues. I have health issues. My body is in excellent shape for my age. There's no question about that. I can outperform most 20-year-olds, but I still got health issues. My biggest health issue is maintaining proper blood pressure. My blood pressure will go through the roof with just the slightest deviation. It just goes through the roof. Part of that is genetic. I understand that. But another part of that is doing what I'm supposed to do to keep blood pressure under control. My mother's 86 years old. Her blood pressure is under perfect control. But mama been on blood pressure medicine since she was 35. My daddy had a heart attack at 45. I don't take any blood pressure medicine. And if I did, I wouldn't have to worry about blood pressure. Since I don't take any blood pressure medicine, I have to be real careful. I have to be real strict about what I do because it will go through the roof. The average American, their blood pressure, the systolic number is 100 plus their age. That's the average American. So if you're 40 years old, for the average American, their top number for their blood pressure is 140. If you're 50, that top number is 150. If you're 60, that top number is 160. As you age, it is a natural physiological function that blood pressure increases. 
one of the things that affects my blood pressure the most is sleep and rest. And when I don't get enough sleep, when I don't get enough rest, my blood pressure goes up no matter what I do. So I have to make sure to stay on track with a lot of things. So I got blood pressure issues. I have plantar fasciitis, which is a inflammation of the fascius tendon underneath the foot because I run a whole lot. And when you run, sometimes my feet and the heel are hurt. It's epidemic among runners. My knees are in good shape. My hips are in good shape. Everything else is in good shape. Sometimes I'll have shoulder issues, but that's because I work out. But I have a few aches and pains here and there, but for the most part, I'm in real good shape. But blood pressure can be real serious. High blood pressure can kill you and it can kill you quick. So I got something that can kill me quick if I let it get out of control. So I have issues in every one of the major areas of life. I have struggles with them. I'm doing excellent, but I'm still struggling. I'm still struggling. And what I do realize that as long as I am in this body, I will struggle. And I'm not sure about heaven. What do you mean, Pastor? You ain't sure about heaven. Some things are not going to be in heaven, but some stuff may be. Because they had a war in heaven. So your body, when you don't have any body ailments, but you know, young people for the most part don't have body ailments and they got the highest suicide rate of all. So just because certain things are eliminated don't mean you won't face some other things. But as long as you keep God and Jesus in your heart, you can deal with almost anything. And I believe that even with the struggles that I have, I'm just as happy as I can be. I really, really am. I'm struggling, but I'm happy struggling because I have learned and I have realized that, number one, God orchestrates everything. I believe he orchestrates everything, number one. And number two, I believe he's orchestrating everything for my good. I just believe that. I believe everything that happens to me, God is orchestrating it for my good, and I see it in that light. Well, Pastor, how do you think God orchestrated for your good and your blood pressure get high sometimes? Because if my blood pressure didn't get high, I wouldn't stay as strict on my program. That's why. I would take just as much leeway as I could get. Any of y'all like that? (laughs) You take just as much leeway as you can get. The reason I'm so strict on a lot of stuff, I have to be if I don't want pain. And I don't like pain. I can tolerate pain, but I don't like it. So I want to stay away from as much pain, from as much debilitating stuff as I possibly can. And to do that, I got to stay on track. And if God let my pressure stay normal, ain't no telling what all I'd do. Ain't no telling what all I'd be eating. I just would. I'm just being honest. I just would. If I had an indestructible body, I'd go right and right and get me some barbecue rib with a sauce. I sure would. I just would. Then I'd have me a big chunk of German chocolate cake out and wash it down with some sweet tea. I just would. But I can't do that if I don't want pain. So I just believe God puts a lot of that stuff and he orchestrates this stuff to help us stay on track. And I view everything in life like that. So I have struggles, as all of us do. But I have a Savior who says that, follow me, for my burdens are light and my yoke is easy. And if I can keep Jesus in my heart, all of these struggles, they disappear and they diminish. But it ain't easy doing that. It ain't easy. Matter of fact, I've told you this before. I think the Old Testament was easier because the New Testament following Jesus fully. Jesus said just these two things you need to do. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and love him with everything and love your neighbors yourself. Neither one of those easy, especially that loving the neighbor as yourself. That just ain't easy. 
look at the person sitting next to you. Now, see, Clayton and Natasha, they're married. They can look at each other, and they can say, ooh, ooh, I just look, ooh. But I want you to just look at the person next to you. Just look at the person next to you. Now, Jesus said you got to love them. Now, you're in church. Now, they ain't counting for out of church. This is in church. And Jesus says you should love them just as much as you love yourself. That is not easy. The Old Testament said you can treat them like they treat you, which is different. <laughs> totally different. The Old Testament said if they slap you, you can slap them back. That's what the Old Testament says. <laughs> the New Testament said if they slap you, you got to turn the other cheek. Say, so slap me again. So it's not easy. It is a struggle to follow Jesus. But it is a struggle that produces benefits. See, it's a struggle in appearance, but the results of the struggle are far better than if you didn't follow Jesus. But I have struggles with all these areas, with all this stuff, because I am in the flesh, and the flesh has struggles. So that's the end of the pastor struggles. Pastor James, do we have any questions that have come in? And I'll do my best to answer any questions that we have. I knew we were going to run a little late because struggles are a long story. And that's not all of them. You ain't got that much time. First one says, why do you not accept a salary? Do you think all pastors should serve in this manner? How can we bless you for your sacrifice? The question was, why do I not accept a salary? Do I think all pastors should operate in this manner? And how can you bless me for my sacrifice? First of all, most pastors need a salary. I don't think this is typical or normal or even desired in most congregations simply because most pastors are either monovocational, meaning that's all that they do, or they're bivocational, meaning they have another job, but often even that other job doesn't fully support them. I am able to do this because God has blessed the businesses that I'm in. And because he has done that, I don't have to take any income from the church. But it is not typical or desirable for most pastors because to be honest about and even when pastors come here to preach we generally pay them much more than large churches do and we've done that from the beginning and the reason that I instituted that is because most pastors are highly underpaid usually if you go somewhere and preach most churches gonna give you 75 dollars and sometimes it costs you more than gas it just does so a lot of times you hear the stories of how Churches often will not take care of pastors financially, whether it's a pastor who is there or whether it is a guest pastor. So often when people come here to speak, and they'll often tell me, look, you all have paid me more than I've ever received anywhere, ever, because I understood the financial struggle that most people in ministry go through. I don't go through that struggle because God has blessed business. So that was the question of, do I think other pastors should do this? The answer is no. Not unless their outside income fully allows them to do that without any additional assistance. The third part of that was, how can you bless me for my sacrifice? To be honest about it, I don't really need any additional money. I got all the money I need. I got more money than what I need. I'm getting to the point, and I believe this coming year, is going to put me at the limit of income that God has told me that I could hit. So 
I really got all the money I need. I appreciate asking the question, what I need from you is to help in this ministry. That's a part of the sacrifice. When we ask you every Sunday to bow your heads and ask God, what should you give? That is the answer to that. Just give what you hear God saying. It doesn't go to me because God has already blessed me. And that's why I recognize that my financial blessings have come from God. They're coming from God. Every success, I can look at it. I can see the hand and the direction of God in the middle of that. Sometimes he'll send you through some droughts and he'll send you through some tough times. And the older I get, the more connected I get, the less I worry about stuff because I know God just got it all. I'm just not worried about money. Money is one of the least things in my world because God just got this stuff handled. Now, I have to work. I'm in the midst of the lotion project right now. That's another one of those examples. I think that's going to be one of the massive projects. But we're on the third batch and we don't have snags with all three batches. But God said from the beginning, it's not going to take off to the fourth batch. I'm saying to myself, bro, why do I got to go through all this stuff? Why you couldn't just tell me how to do stuff right from the start? I can't answer that. Sometimes God will send you through. And remember this, the promised land has always been on the other side of the wilderness. And sometimes there's no way to get to your promised land except going through the wilderness. So I appreciate, I appreciate the offer. And the answer is just to give to this ministry what God has spoken to you. Next question. Why does your wife not do more in the church? That's a good question. (laughs) You know, that's a good question. She is different. She does a lot. And to be honest about it, she does a lot. She has an organization called Yearly Angels that is a separate organization that helps every year. You can go to yearlyangels.com and actually look at it. She raises money independently of me. And it was something she said God told her to do. God told her to help a certain number of families every year, individuals and families. And she told me, and she told me how much money it required to do that. And I told her from the beginning, I said, look, whatever you don't raise, I will put in the difference for that amount of money. The program has been going on now, I think for close to 10 years, and she's never asked me for a dime. She's raised it all on her own. And she goes out every year and she helps all of these people, but none of those people are in the church, not in this church. So sometimes she like do her own thing sometimes. And it's what God told her to do. She most of the time doesn't even sit out here. She sits back in the TV room there. So she's always been like that. And sometimes, you know, folk are just different. And everybody in church is not the same. Every first lady is not the same. To be honest about it, the real acting first lady of the church is Minister Stephanie. She's sitting here on the front row every Sunday. She's doing a lot. She's super active. So sometimes different people simply have different personalities. It's just as simple as that. They have different personalities, different ways that they want to express themselves. And I told you this years ago, the main job of the first lady, to be honest about it, ain't to see about the congregation. They ain't the main job of the first lady at all, at all. And a lot of times, the reason that many pastors have fallen is because the first lady is seeing about the congregation and ain't seeing about pastor. And pastor cold at home, and pastor got voids, and this is another principle. I'm trying to put this nicely. 
A comedian once put it like this. I'll clean it up. He put it like this. He said, show me a wife who won't, and I'll show you a neighbor who will. So the job of first lady first is actually to see about the pastor. And just as the pastor's job first is to see about the first lady. So... So she's not overly active. She does the First Lady Forum, and people love that. It's usually packed with people, but it's her own thing. That's just her personality. I understand that. And one thing about it in marriage, you got to learn to accept folk like they is. And see, that's not correct English without question. I know that, but sometimes some folk don't talk. And if you got a spouse who's speaking incorrect English, you got to accept them as they is because they're going to get mad if you try to. That's supposed to be ah. Uh. Don't you understand that's supposed to be ah? Uh? And you got to accept folk as they is because if you don't accept them as they is, they are going to be gone. <laughs> so that's the way she is. How can I work in the church when I cannot get my husband to come? How can I feel I'm effective in ministry when I cannot move him? Ask Jesus. And when I say ask Jesus, what I mean by that is Jesus could not do any miracles in his own hometown. As powerful as he was, he could do no mighty works in his own home. And Jesus is a prophet is without honor, save in his own household. So sometimes you cannot get those closest to you to do what you know they should do simply because you're common to them. They see you in your ups and downs, your weaknesses. They see you in your hair rollers. They see you in your slippers. They see you in your bloomers. They see you in situations that church folk don't see. And as a result, for some reason, you're close, you're common And sometimes people at home, my father, as great as he was, he would often have to take us to other people. My father was a phenomenal health advocate, but I didn't change until he took me to a group of experts to be lectured to for a week. See, Elijah right now, he's a super juice advocate. But even though my father made us make juice every day, see, Elijah didn't become a major juice advocate until my daddy took him to see the juice man. And when he saw the juice man, Jay the juice man, he became converted. My daddy had us making carrot juice, celery juice all day long. But until he saw Jay the juice man, sometimes you cannot do it because you're too close to them. And what you have to do is you simply have to show them the way over and over and over. See, Elijah tells the story of Smith Wigglesworth and how he was converted by his wife. And he tells the story of how His wife would go out to Bible study and she would go to church and go to revivals. And it made Smith mad. And he told his wife, he said, if you go out one more time to that church, I'm going to lock you out of this house. And she went out to church. And sure enough, Smith bolted the door. It was cold when he left his wife out there all night long. And when he got up the next morning, he went and opened the door and his wife was there huddled at the door and just fell inside the door. She fell inside the door, almost frozen. She got up, shook herself off, went in, made his favorite breakfast, came back and sat it before him and says, good morning, honey. And Smith said, what kind of religion is that? 
I locked this woman out in the free all night long. See, most of us would have been scared to eat that breakfast. <laughs> or we'd have had some hot grits on us. He said, what kind of woman is this? And Smith Wigglesworth became converted, became one of the greatest evangelists that history has ever known, not because of his wife's preaching, not because he went to church with his wife, but because of what he saw her do that was almost impossible without Christ. We've got to just be like Jesus. And Jesus had difficulty. He couldn't get his own folk to follow his own hometown to follow. So we've just sometimes got to just show and remain faithful. And if they watch and see long enough, they'll say, what is this? And whatever this is, I want this. Do we have another question? There are some that say the Holy Spirit talks to them, but how do you know it is the Holy Spirit talking to you and not you talking to yourself? That's a theological question. And that's a little bit longer of a discussion than I have time for here. Actually, there are sermons, and I think I do have a sermon, How Do You Know It's the Voice of God? I would recommend you go and listen to that. That's not easy to answer, first of all, because all prophets have been wrong. I don't know any prophet ain't been wrong, including myself. Sometimes you just miss it. I don't know what happened with it. Sometimes it just don't come out right. It just don't. And there's no passage in the Bible that tells you how to know a true prophet. The only passage that you know is from God if it comes to pass. But every prophet I know has said some stuff that just didn't come to pass and just been dead wrong. The simple, quick answer is sometimes you don't know. There are three ways of telling. Number one, it will always agree with the word of God, but you got to know the word of God. and You need to know it really, really well to make sure that it agrees with the word of God. Sometimes it will agree with your inner spirit of what you know you should do. But often when I hear from God, God is telling me stuff I don't want to hear in the first place. I usually have to question whether it's me when it's something I want to do. But the majority of times when I hear from God, he's telling me stuff I don't want to do in the first place. Yeah, I would just recommend go and listen to that sermon. I think it's how to know the voice of God. I've taught on that. See, Elijah has taught on it. So there are resources online because that is not simple and easy. And even after you listen to that, you're still not going to know, to be honest about it. What I do tell people is this. You ask yourself the question, what if it's not God? And if it's big enough to where if it's not God, this is going to be major, you need to get some second or third confirmation of it. But let's just say, for example, I'll give you a good example. I was in a grocery store called Food Depot. It's Food Depot. And I go there because they're the only place that has grapes with seeds in it. But it's actually geared to a lower economic clientele. So I had my fruit in the basket, and I see this couple. There's this man holding a child, and they're Hispanic. And I get this inkling in my spirit, pay for their groceries. You know, sometimes when you hear it, you just don't even want to fool with this stuff. You know, I wasn't even necessarily questioning whether it was God. I just didn't want to fool with it. This is another one of the struggles I go through. Sometimes when I hear God's word, I don't want to fool with it. I didn't want to fool with that. I'm not in church. I'm out on my own. I'm trying to relax. I'm trying to shop, get me some grapes. I didn't want to fool with it. So I even asked God, I said, Lord, what if I just don't do this? Because sometimes when I don't do it, it'd be some hard consequences. So I said, what if I don't do this? He said, if you don't do this, there will be no negative consequences. He said, but neither will there be the blessing from this. So I'm standing in line. I still didn't want to do it because, number one, if you go up to folk like that, sometimes they think you're crazy. They really do. You got to risk craziness with this stuff. So I'm standing in line and 
I hear God saying, I will make it convenient for you. So the minute I get through paying for my groceries and push my cart out from the line, they're at the register. So I, oh, goodness. So I walk up to the husband and I said, first of all, I said, excuse me, do you speak English? Because I wasn't sure whether he spoke English or not. He spoke perfect English. He said, yes, I do. I said, this is going to sound strange, but I'm just kind of led. I said, somebody did this for me once and I'd like to return the favor for you. Would you mind if I paid for your groceries today? And he said, really? I said, yeah. I said, would you just mind if you would allow me to just pay for your groceries today? He said, are you serious? I said, I'm serious. So I just stood back, and as they start really, it was $20, and he went to $30. I didn't realize how much stuff he had in his basket. It went to $40 and $50, $60, $70, and $80. It went to $90. It went to $100, $110. It went to $120, $130. I said, are you sure? I said, yes, I'm sure. It ended up. It was $141.38. So I took the cash out of my wallet. I paid for it. And the clerk said, would you pay for my groceries? (laughs) (laughs) So I paid for the groceries. And I told them, bless you. And they said, thank you. And I walked out. As I'm walking out to my car, I hear the husband telling the mother, No one in our lives has ever done anything like that for us before. Now, I wasn't positive this was God, but I had to ask myself the question, if it is not God, what is the consequence? If it was not God, then it would have cost me $141.38. I could risk that. So often if you've got a situation like that and you're not sure it's from God, ask yourself the question, if it is not God, what is going to be the consequences of this? If you can live with those consequences, go ahead and do it without question. And particularly if the consequences that you can see will be good. See, I knew even at worst it could have happened. It could have cost me some money or they could have rejected the offer. Because sometimes folks won't let you have them. No, 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 no. So that would have been the worst that could happen is they would have rejected the offer what would have cost me some money. So ask yourself that question when you think you're hearing or being led of the Holy Spirit. If this is not God, what are the potential negatives of it? And if I can live with the negatives, go ahead and do it. If it's so big, if this ain't God, this is disastrous, then you need to get some counsel with two or three other folks. So that's the last question. Amen. Well, this is the longest service that we've had in a long time. It is 112, so we're actually almost 45 minutes beyond our time today. But hopefully I got all your questions answered that you had. And we do this every now and then, open up the audience to whatever questions that you might have of us. I want to say I thank all of you. I really do. To me, this is the best congregation in the world. It really is. I thank you. The 25 years that we have been here has been a true blessing. And I am thankful that I don't have the typical pastoral struggles. All of the struggles that I have named, they're really internal to me. It ain't you. They're really internal to me. And I thank you for being such a glorious group, such a peace-loving, such a loving group. Everyone who does come to the ark, they talk about the love and the family that they feel here. I thank you for maintaining that spirit. So... Even though the pastor has struggles, you all are not one of those struggles.
So I'm going to ask the Elijah to just close us out to have any comments that he may have or Pastor James. It's a blessing to serve you. It really, really is. We thank Pastor for just being transparent and open and talking about his struggles. Not many pastors will do that. They'll make it seem like their life is all perfect, but we thank God for the pastor that we have. He's straightforward and he's open. So give him another hand just for his transparency. The only thing I would like to add is I know somebody asked a question. You don't get a salary and how can we bless you? So one way that you all can bless him is that is prayer. So pastor prays for you all every day. But just ask yourself, how many days do I pray for my pastor? So you've heard that he has struggles in all of those areas. And don't just pray for him. Cover his entire household. Cover first lady and his four sons and you know, they're driving on the road every day and they're dealing with their own issues of life. So you can cover his entire household and remember him in your prayer. So that's something that he can always use because we all go through our struggles. So just add that uh, to your daily prayers to make sure that you cover Pastor. That may have been one of the reasons that God had him to open up some of his struggles. So now you know what to pray for more specifically. So don't just hear it do something with it. And that's a way that we can all give back. Amen. Praise God. I certainly agree with Pastor James. That was the most transparent message I've ever heard. I've heard a lot of pastors. I've been to a lot of churches, but I've never heard a pastor share from his heart like our pastor did today. That takes a lot of humility to to share your shortcomings and your struggles. We all need the grace of God in our lives. Nobody is perfect. We're all striving to walk out the word. It takes the help of the Holy Spirit. I don't think you can live a perfect life without the Holy Spirit. And that's why God moved in on the inside of us to help us, to be that living word in us, to speak to us, to comfort us, to strengthen us, to guide us. God knew that we couldn't do it on our own, and that's why he came. He came down. He said, I got to go down because they're messing it all up. He came down and moved in on the inside of us, and so all the time he's nudging us to do what's right. He's all the time, he's giving us that little sense, that the still, small voice. That's your conscience. That's God. He's always trying to get us to move and do what's right. That's his life on the inside of us. He lives in us, and he's always there to help us. And so I just appreciate Pastor Nathaniel being so transparent, so honest to share his struggles. And as God helps him, God helps all of us. We all walk it out. We all walk this life out together. And that's the beauty of church. We're all one family, and we all help one another. We all pray for one another. We all struggle together. We all get better together. And so we're in this together, and that's what I love about it. Nobody's better than anyone else. We're all human. We're all human. This is a human experience with the life of God that has come on the inside of us. And so aren't you grateful that you can repent, you can receive God's grace, you can receive His forgiveness, and yet you receive the power of the Holy Spirit? 
And so we're just so grateful. We're grateful, and I'm grateful for Pastor Nathaniel. I'm grateful for his heart. You had a chance to hear his heart today. And that took a lot of humility, because I wouldn't have shared all of that. <laughs> and we thank God for him so much. Stand on your feet. I'm not going to take any more time. Praise God. Once again, special thanks to our musical guest, Steve Lefthand Lewis. Thank you for being with us. Let's pray. Father, we just love you so much. Father, we just thank you so much for the power of your spirit. We thank you for your goodness and your grace. Thank you for allowing us all to come a little closer to you today, Lord to be open, to open our hearts to you, to receive from you, Lord. We ask you to forgive us. Forgive us of everything we've done wrong, things that we should have done that we haven't done, and things that we're doing that we shouldn't be doing. We repent, Lord. We ask you to forgive us in Jesus' name. We ask you to fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. Lord, we just thank you so much. Father, just speak your grace and your peace and love over everyone here today, Lord. Let us have a wonderful day and a wonderful week. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
You are listening to BrothersOfTheWord.com. This was the sermon titled The Pastor Struggles by Nathaniel Bronner. This sermon is number 5850. That's 5850. To listen to thousands of free sermons or to send this sermon number 5850 to a friend, go to BrothersOfTheWord.com. If this message has been a blessing to you and you would like to help support this ministry, go to IWantToGive.com. That's IWantToGive.com. Listen to brothersoftheword.com often because, brother, you need the word. Oh, brothers of the word.